ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying time is here. That's right, we are talking Friday the 13th, part two on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, and that's your old pal Patrick Hamilton, and I'm coming to you once again from Camp Crystal Lake, or as close to it as we can possibly get. This is the Kill by Kill podcast, where we are dedicated to celebrating all of the great characters in Friday the 13th franchise history, starting, well, not starting, but right now we're on uh, Friday the 13th part two, and our goal here is to unpack all the gory details and see if a camp counselor's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes that we can make about them. And there's only one person I trust to help me forage for the survivors of Camp Blood, it's my favorite person on the internet, the one and only Gina Radcliffe. How you doing, Gina? Aw, uh, much better now you said I'm your favorite person on the internet. Thank you. I qualified it. Only <laughs> on the internet. If I ever see you in real life, you have a lot to live up to. A I, I, lot. I, I, will, I will take lots of Xanax and, uh, <laughs> and prepare myself for that momentous occasion. <laughs> so, I have to ask, at this point, what is your opinion of Friday the Thirteenth Part Two? It's not good, except for the 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 ending and the and one of the death scenes, which is one of my personal favorites in the entire series. Yeah, but uh, it's like they they amped up the you know, well, it could be horror, or if we run if we run low on budget, we'll just we'll just turn it into porn. The the first one, you know, has kids in bathing suits and this one has kids in bathing suits as well. They are strangely even smaller bathing suits. Um on people you don't want to see in small bathing suits. Like our trickster character. I don't know that I need to see that much of his body. <laughs> That's me. That's not shaming him. That's not his problem. That's on me. This is one of the movies that there are very few that I can remember that no one is wearing underwear. No one. No guy. No girl. There's not a bra to be found anywhere near the the set of this motion picture. No, I know I know every inch of Paul's wiener because his <laughs> jeans during the training sequence are so tight, so high, so unforgiving. You get to see its breadth and length, which you know, kudos to him. You've got a hell of a wiener. Like, great for you. But, it's and Terry, poor Terry, is only identified initially by her butt. <laughs> and then, well, let's get, we'll get to her. Because where we're coming into this is Sandra and uh, Jeff have gone off to investigate Camp Blood. They find a sign. They think it's super freaky, y'all. And Deputy Winslow catches them, hauls them back to Paul's camp. And we get this tete-a-tete between an authority figure and Paul. This is where we see his management style, which is underwhelming, let's say. I mean... Whatever, man. It's cool. (laughs) Well, I understand that he doesn't want to be dictated to by a, a local sheriff's employee about how he handles his kids. On the other hand, he's kind of being just a dick to be a dick. I mean, he comes off very straight-laced to begin with, and then much later, when he and Jenny re-enter the main cabin and finds a roach, his response is, 
these kids smoke better dope than I do. Also, how can you tell, like, the quality of it from a, a tiny little bit left over in a joint? Like, mmm, like it's a fine wine. Even the end, I can tell. Like, this is a great vintage. Fuck you, Paul. Who are you trying to impress? Everything about Paul screams he shouldn't be in charge. Whether or not that's wearing a turtleneck underneath a button-down shirt, which I disagree with on a multitude of levels. And the color combination doesn't necessarily work for me if you're not a formal lumberjack or something. It just... mm. Anyways, Winslow is kind of like, hey, man, these guys got caught where they weren't supposed to be. They're A, too close, in his words, and B, things have been quiet for five years. This is the second time this time frame is brought up. Between this and the Bond series, I don't. Maybe it's the continuity nerd in me. I don't know how it's making me supposed to believe that five years have gone by in movie time, and this movie entered cinemas only ten months after the original hit. It's oh my god! It's crazy. Yeah, in that five years' time, the clothes have been changed, the hair hasn't changed. It's just, no. you know, apparently the world has remained in a stasis since this happened. <laughs> well, handheld video game technology has gone through the roof. We know that. <laughs> I believe I owned one of those. I don't even remember what it was called, but it, it was gigantic. It was longer than a fucking football. It weighed, it felt like a brick in your hands. And it barely did anything. The, the it, it, know, made the, some, it made some pleasing beep beep boop boop noises. Yes, but these kids are super into it. And then Winslow also drops this lovely nugget of info, information to Paul. Hey man, you've got a good reputation. Now, what pool of information is he getting this from? Like around town, everyone knows that Paul trains the best camp counselors. He didn't go on Nextdoor or Facebook and go, what has anybody heard about this, Paul? Where is he getting this information from? Angie's List. Angie's List. (laughs) Which at the time was a handwritten list. (laughs) It was like a community bulletin board right next to the penny saver. Yeah, what do you, what do you think of this guy who trains camp counselors? Which which is I have heard of Paul. Someone writes in longhand, <laughs> <laughs> right outside the grocery store. He trained a friend of mine's daughter, and she is doing great as a camp counselor. What network of camp counselor training programs is he hooked into? It just doesn't make any sense. So, anyways, Paul plays him off. Says like, "Screw you! I'm not. You know, they don't get any dessert." Uh, I don't believe that my mere presence is going to to bring back a kid that supposedly died. Because he supposedly died. That was the whole point of the first movie. Winslow runs off in a gruff. And as he's driving back, uh, Jason darts across the road for no fucking reason. This guy has been completely stealth up until this point. And then here's a guy with a gun. He's like... <laughs> Oh, I'm a squirrel. I gotta get across the street now. He's been spending those past five years playing Frogger. (laughs) In the place that he lives, which we will get to because we get to see it. We get to see it at night. We get to see it during the day. The deputy takes off after Jason and 
what can only be described as a foot chase on the level of, I don't know, the original Point Break or the French Connection, but on two feet. Uh, because all he does is, like, bounce off of trees and other things on his way <laughs> to get to his place. I mean, that French Connection thing about Popeye Doyle is, like, he's driving straight only because he keeps bouncing off of things to his left and right. And this is the exact same way. Uh, and he will stop to catch his breath, not catch his breath, and then take off running. Which I don't understand. He's like a cannonball. The only thing that stops him is other objects. And Winslow finds Jason's... What? How would you describe that? A hovel? Um, something out of a Harmony Korean uh, movie. I was starting to see where, where, where he got a lot of his uh, art- artistic influences from and, and like set design and he borrowed an aesthetic we all do it i get it yeah uh we do learn one thing about jason he's got a toilet <laughs> he's not gonna shit in the woods like an animal my Why god not? Is he, the woods is all around you but he's got the toilet but it doesn't have a toilet seat it doesn't have toilet paper and then this toilet reveal is treated like oh thank goodness it's just a toilet <laughs> i don't know <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. It's not like, oh, it's a, there's a pair of eyes. No, it's a raccoon. He pushes the door open and like, toilet. Okay. All right. Am I supposed to be scared by this? I mean, it's, it, gives, it gave me a lot of thought. It really did. It haunts me, but I wouldn't call it scary. After the toilet reveal that's given its own fucking musical cue. He just stares back and goes, "What did I'm? What am I looking at?" And Jason nails him in the back of the head with a hammer, kind of freezes Rictus style, from pain, shock, and surprise. Uh, and then we fade to white. Let's see with that with and, that dramatic buildup of the toilet reveal. I mean, you would think that like Jason maybe would have like picked it up and just dropped it on him or something like that. I mean, because have you ever had to lift the toilet? They're very heavy. Oh, yes. Unfortunately, I have had to lift the toilet. They're a real bastard. And they're slick as hell. And cold. Uh, they're always cold. Uh, the, the worst thing, though, if you really want to um, become disturbed, is when we bought our house, they, they snaked a, a camera down our sewer system to see its path all the way from the house to the street to see if it was broken up or anything. Mm-hmm. And I still think about it at least once a month. Did you like? Did you like it's, watch it, or did you like? Yeah, I have a DVD <laughs> of it. I have my own personal copy. Is that like so next, that I can that, reference is that like next it to like your 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 wedding DVD and your 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 yes. son's birth? <laughs> <laughs> and in that order, wedding first. A video of my sewer line from the house to the street, birth of child. <laughs> Even though it's not the right chronological order, it's an order of importance. Uh, okay. That's the story of Jason's toilet, which we never get to see again. So if you're looking for that to come back as a theme, as far as I'm aware, it doesn't. At some point, he, at some something. point, he just evidently does eventually result resort to just shitting in the woods. I think that would fall more in line to his character. R.I.P.D. Deputy Winslow. Well, let's move on to Scott. Scott is the resident preppy of the camp counselor group. Uh, if there's a bunch of people who fall into weird stereotypes, 
there's African American gentlemen wearing work from work suspenders. <laughs> there's one Asian actress. There's a girl with a shorter haircut. And there's Scott. Scott is yeah, he's the resident preppy. He's the only person I can remember uh on camera popping a collar right before talking to a girl. Yeah. <laughs> Which I don't does that make you look better? Is he the fucking shadow? Like what do you what does that accomplish? I did this as a child, but I was also stupid. We 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 first meet Scott uh shooting a pebble at Terry's ass. Cuz that's cute. I mean And then we're supposed to like him or hate him? I'm not sure. It's a weird mix that the Friday the 13th does to you where they introduce people that you kind of want to die because otherwise there wouldn't be a movie. And that, that, that actually gets progressively worse as the as the movie goes on where after a certain point it's like, I don't yes. want anybody in this, in this movie to survive. I mean, in the first movie they all seem kind of, you know, just a bunch of ordinary young knuckleheads gathered together at this camp. And then from this point yes. forward, it just becomes, well, we're going to develop these characters a little bit, but we're going to develop in the way the audience will hate them and applaud and rejoice over their death. Yeah, they're get- Scott's one of those examples yes. here where his defining characteristic is pretty much his attitude towards Terry. And, and from that standpoint, I dislike him intensely. He's trying to hit her, you know, in the shoulder and say, I like you which is regressive uh it's not attractive and i might add doesn't work with the person he's trying to yeah, have sex with yeah yeah scott seems like and, and, I, and i and i use this description a lot for these types of men but he he seems like he's walking around with a, with a handful of roofies in his pocket where where you know he he, <laughs> oh, he will try his not terribly charming personality first and then his resort to his reasonably handsome but otherwise unremarkable appearance and that that doesn't work mm-hmm. he'll just outright drug you yeah he has a, a countenance about him that if I said quickly describe a young New York theater actor from 1981 Scott would come exactly out. he's 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 the very definition of thirsty. <laughs> I might not have always known exactly what that is, but once I discovered its actual definition, I'm like, oh, Scott from Friday the 13th Part 2. Because he's just on Terry to a degree that makes Vicky's desire for Mark later seem subtle. He tries everything, including asking Terry's dog Muffin to dance. <laughs> Scott is completely friend zone. Yes. Uh, from the word get-go. He registers as an acquaintance at best, and then he tops this behavior off by stalking Terry by staying behind and not going to casino bar which is which is a handy which is which is a handy we'll, way of of eliminating the, virtually half the cast yes it it what it does is you see a lot of people at the beginning of this and go oh my god he's going to have to kill so many people and then half of them go oh let's go out drinking and then you're left with five people that cuts down the the workman's load of this by a great deal while terry skinny dips scott steals her clothes of i don't mean to shame terry about what she's wearing but she's barely wearing yeah the the, the interesting about terry is is she wears virtually nothing i'm looking at one picture she's wearing what appears to be a sweatshirt cut off to just barely 
below her breasts and without benefit of a brassiere. And, and the funny thing is, she left the long sleeves on. So I, I am... I am, Well, it's chilly, am, Gina. <laughs> yes, I, I can she, tell it's chilly. On. She's not wearing a bra. This movie has a, a weird fetish that we'll get to, to some degree, a little bit later with another character. But it's under the impression that there can be super sexy sweaters. And... I'm not entirely sure that is true. Outside of like fetishizing that sort of Angora thing from the 50s, which at least is like, you're like, oh, it's a tight sweater, I guess. If if she were just magically transposed to the front of a uh, video a VHS cover box, you'd be like, oh, I know what that movie is. <laughs> oh, it's a dick comedy from 1983. Exactly. Check. She basically looks like the aftermath of a prank by Scott Bayo and Zapped. <laughs> oh, God. Maybe Scott really is the sort of a la Sleepaway Camp 2, where they transposed all the character names to Brat Pack members. <laughs> Maybe Scott is transposed into Scott Bayo. Maybe. And we're supposed to dislike him. Because he's a tool. Okay, that's making a lot more sense. So he steals Terry's clothes and then throws pieces of clothing out to her while she says, Please give me my clothes back, asshole. I'm naked. And he refuses. Uh, luckily, she has a blue towel we did not see before to wrap around her torso. And then he gets caught into that crazy foot snare. Uh, so he goes flying up. Uh, starts swinging around, curses Paul and his mountain man crap. Uh, which, again, Paul does not strike me as the mountain man type based on the way he dresses, but okay. Mountain men generally wear underwear, from what I'm told. You don't want to have to deal with, with ticks in that it's area. The East Coast in summer. Do you know how hot it is in New Jersey? I, I it's do. So moist. I, I do. <laughs> you need underwear, man. You need underwear. You need you need gold bond powder. You you need a lot of things to to keep things from getting moist and unpleasant in that area. Yes, and Terry only agrees to cut him to find a knife and cut him down if he if he cuts the crap, and he just like anything, anything for the love of God. And if I was her, I would just like leave him up there for twenty minutes. What one of her stops is to throw that blue towel that she magically discovers into the bushes for no other reason than to hit the lens of the camera as she passes by. Is that the dirty clothes, Terry? I don't think so. Don't just throw your used towels into the woods. <laughs> What's that craziness? Uh, we'll get to Terry's relationship with the camera later because she's the one who interacts with it the most. Uh, while Terry is trying to find uh, the magical backpack that contains her knife in it, uh, Steve is approached by Jason while he's hanging upside down and completely helpless, and Jason slashes his throat with the wrong side of a machete. <laughs> it is the wrong side, isn't it? That is absolutely correct. The the the, uh, the the blade is curved the wrong way. I just I'm just watching it now, yeah. and it also it happens in a it's, it happens again in another scene. My favorite mm -hmm. scene, which I cannot wait to get to. <laughs> I'm really um, overselling my so, my eagerness to to discuss this particular scene. Uh, yeah, there's a lot to talk about, but let's not that un unfortunately, folks. That is for another day. We're going to round this up by talking about Terry. And we've gotten to a lot about Terry. 
later on when her dog Muffin disappears, we get that great cutaway shot that's worthy of 30 Rock of the dog looking up at Jason and then cut away to the campers and the characters going, hot dogs, who wants hot dogs? <laughs> Which I'm sure they larfed and larfed about in that writer's room. Um, by the way, Muffin looks up at the camera of Jason and the camera is located in Jason's crotch. So apparently Jason's penis is looking at Muffin. It's a little too close to the ground. This is the dynamic that works with Terry and Muffin. They're constantly looking at the camera or the camera is constantly looking at them from that killer POV. More than any other character in this entire movie. At one point, Terry is looking for the now missing Muffin. She comes around the side of a cabin and looks off at her own eye level. So she's standing on ground. She looks at her own eye level at the camera, which is at the same height as her, and says, Muffin? Well, unless Muffin is standing on a bunch of other dogs that are all in a trench coat a la DuckTales, I don't think Muffin is standing five foot nine off the ground, Terry. Yeah, it's, it's standing in a way that, that, that he's going to look at her and say, Terry? Yeah. Oh, Terry, it's me. I'm standing on this guy's shoulder. <laughs> Didn't you notice that? She looks dead into camera, a la how Alice does when she comes out of that shower in the beginning moments of this movie, but constantly. Yeah, it's just like, it's like they, like, well, this shot worked really well. Let's use it again. This is our, our Kubrick stare. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're just gonna use this over and over and over again. Yeah. So, yeah, Terry constantly interacts with the camera. She tosses the towel at it. She looks at it when she thinks it's a dog. The, the, the camera looks at her through ferns and no one notices. Like, it takes a bit more than a couple ferns, guys. Jason has to be able to hide a little bit. Then Terry... Oh, how is Terry dispatched? She starts running. She discovers Scott, who is dead. May he rest yes. in peace. Oh, and it goes. To, it's another wide. Right, and she turns around, and you, know, she, she, she screams, and then that's it. Her body shows up again later because she is left near the shrine of Mama's head. Yeah, yeah. She's she's in the very last shot of part two when you get the close up of, of Mama's head which seems to be played by a real person because it looks real. <laughs> like it's, it's going to pop up talking like Crypt Keeper at any second, but then it doesn't. Again, you expect uh, it. You, it's a yeah. bit of a letdown that, that it does not open its eyes and wink at the camera. It, it took, it That's took all I want. It, Is that it too much to much ask? too long for, for, that, 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 for that gimmick to be used and it ended up being Freddy Krueger anyway. <laughs> this is tr Freddy Krueger and Deadpool. It's the only time it ever works. It's a Wolverine Origins uh, reference, kids. <laughs> everyone wants to hear on a podcast about Friday the 13th. So it is at this point that we choose our own death venture and we play Would You Rather, Gina Radcliffe of New York City. Would you rather die from the claw part of a hammer entering the back of your skull your throat slashed by the wrong side of a machete while you're hanging upside down or whatever the fuck happens to Terry. 
You know, I would think I was initially thinking that in 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 reality, if you were you know hit with the claw end of a hammer in the back of the head, you probably would die fairly quickly, or at least lose consciousness fairly quickly. But you know what? I'm going to take a chance and say that you know I'm going to go with uh with with you know with with Terry's un- unknown question mark death. For all we know, it could be infinitely more gruesome than everyone. Well, you know, I'm willing to take my chances. So you're going to spin, spin that, that wheel. wheel, yeah. I, yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm going to counter. Uh, I'm avoiding Deputy Winslow because, unlike you, I think you'd be around for a long time because you're not hitting anything vital. It's one of those brain injuries, like that in Hannibal when he starts facing on someone's brain while they're alive and, and feeds you just it start to like them. you start talking like I could smell the sun <laughs> yeah <laughs> which sounds awesome <laughs> if you just if you take away everything else and someone said hey do you want to smell the sun like, yeah kind of, kind of I don't want to eat what you're serving me how come I can't move <laughs> but uh, yeah I'm avoiding Deputy Winslow for sure uh, Terry we don't know what happens to her, and I hate the unknown. Uh, so I'm going to go with Scott, because he's hanging upside down. He is slashed in the throat, and that can't be fun, but all the blood's going to be rushing down there rather quickly. Um, and I think, yeah, you're going to go into shock, and you're going to black out really, really fast, especially after you've been hanging upside down for a good seven And, yeah, you'll minutes. be dizzy anyway, so you won't really feel anything. Yeah, yeah. You won't know. It'll feel like a release of pressure. It'll probably be welcoming. Um, and that's why they call it. That's, that's how why they I call feel. it the sweet relief that only death can bring. <laughs> yes, when you're hanging upside down by a foot snare on a tree, and someone slashes your throat with a machete, the sweet relief of death. Um, and so this brings us to a close. Oh my goodness, how quickly the time flies when we're together. Thank you ever so much, uh, people, I, for joining us once again on our journey to talk about these characters and their ends and all the discussions that come about because of them. Uh, you can talk to us. Did you know that? You can on Twitter at KillByKillPod. You can email us uh, at KillByKillPod at gmail.com. Um, tell us uh, what you enjoy about the show. Uh, let us know what you think about Friday the 13th Part 2 or uh, anything Friday the 13th related. And so that does it for now. Uh, but don't worry, folks. The body count continues next time. So for myself and for Gina, bye-bye, everybody. Kill by Kills produced by We Write Good and is intended for entertainment purposes only. Friday the 13th is owned by Paramount Pictures. Jason is owned by New Line Cinema. No infringement is intended. Kill by Kill logo was designed by Josh Hollis. Visit him at joshhollis.com. The Kill by Kill theme was created exclusively for us by Revenge Body. Get the whole track and much, much more at revengebodymemphis.bandcamp.com today.